Hey friend, are you looking to start a fun business on the side, but don't know where or how to get started? Are you in direct sales, network marketing, or social retail and looking for tangible ways to scale your business? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Socially Selling Podcast with me, Becky Baxter. I was a teacher by trade turned entrepreneur. I am a mompreneur who has invested time, energy, and resources into growing a multi-million dollar business, all while playing the role of wife, mama, leader, friend, and CEO. I will share tangible tips, hacks, and raw moments that have led to my continued success. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of these real-life messy moments that have created incredible magic and changed the trajectory of my life. Let's get into the episode. Okay, awesome. Well, first of all, um, hello, Facebook world, and those of you that are listening to uh, my podcast, uh, listening to the recording. I am really excited because today I am actually interviewing my dad, Kirk Brock. So he um, has a really cool story that I think there are so many lessons that can be applied to your business. And uh, I wanted to also just kind of have some documentation for my own girls and like just as like a history thing, if you will, to be able to pass down for generations. So I asked him to sit down with me and uh, record a podcast. Uh, And so, yeah, so that's what we're doing. So first of all, um, dad, if you want to just kind of tell people, um, you know, like your name, what do you do for a living and where you live? Well, to start off with, I want to say that I reserve the right to deny anything that I say in the future. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, now, what do you want to know? Uh, Your name. Kirk Brock. What do you do for a living? I am an aircraft mechanic. And where do you live? I live in Smyrna, Tennessee, south of Nashville. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So um, I think for starters, I wanted people to kind of hear a little bit about how you became a mechanic. Like what started that, you know, journey and into uh, what you're doing now? Well, on the aircraft side, as a small, small child, I can remember my dad taking us to the airport and uh, having us latch onto a fence to where we would, uh, he would know where we were at and that we were not supposed to release the fence. And uh, I can remember being there several times and we watched the airplanes uh, come and go. And both my brother and I both ended up in aviation. He's a pilot and I ended up being a mechanic and, uh, I believe that has a, that early memories has a lot of influence on how I ended up in aviation. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's crazy to think about. Cause to me, I'm like, I would never take my small <laughs> children and be yeah. like, don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, wow, the times have changed. Um, <laughs> that, that was the early sixties. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like oh, different man. time nowadays, if you saw a kid, uh, standing, holding a fence, please go help the child. <laughs> <laughs> but man that's an interesting story and to think too that the impression it made on your brother as well Mm -hmm. that you both ended up um, in aviation Mm -hmm. so 
Um, I know one thing that has stuck out to me um, from like just stories that I've heard throughout, um, you know, my life from things that have happened um, to you. I know that you started working at a very young age. So Mm -hmm. when did you get your very first job? My first job, I was uh, 11 years old. I worked at Merlin Trading Post in Merlin, Oregon, and uh, my mother was uh, just just had gotten separated, divorced, and uh, she worked uh, at a bank during the week, and she worked Saturdays and Sundays uh, at a grocery store. And my childcare was working at the store pumping gas, and I was getting paid a dollar eleven an hour, and I was eleven years old, and. Uh, I never saw a penny of that money. My mama got it all. Oh my goodness. Helping pay the bills. Yeah. Oh but my goodness. I, at 11. I did that for two years, 11 and 12 wow. in the summertime. I had a, had a part-time job working uh, uh, 24 hours on the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. At 11 years old. And mm-hmm. so you worked there for two years mm-hmm. and then you were still in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, at 11 years old, having the responsibility of like helping, you know, pay bills and stuff in a sense, or at least contribute, I guess, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened after that two years? After that, uh, I, uh, I think we moved and my mom did not have that job anymore. And I did not have access to go to to work there. And then when I was, uh, 14, uh, just before I turned 14, I, uh, went and, uh, started living with my dad and, uh, his, uh, one of his good friends, uh, they had a truck shop in sunny Valley. It was, uh, uh, just, I won't say the name it was, a, it was a truck shop. And, uh, I started working down there part time, a good friend of mine, it was his grandfather. Uh, and, uh, I worked there working on log trucks, uh, washing, primarily washing them and doing anything that anyone there told me to do. Yeah. You know, at, at 13, 14, you, you don't know anything about a log truck. And, uh, so I learned how to change tires and that's where I learned to weld oh. and, uh, you know, got to, uh, to get some experience that is probably very hard to come by now when you're 13 or 14. Yeah, I would imagine so. Okay, not right now. We're still recording. Um, sorry, children. <laughs> um, okay, so that's an incredible um, work experience. Like you said, that were you paid to do that? Uh, I was, and I cannot remember what it was. It wasn't very much. I yeah. do know that. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't every weekend that, you know, I, I did not have a, they didn't need me that much. Uh, when I was just turned 15 after school, I would stop by there and, and help when they needed it. Uh, and that wasn't, you know, real regular. And then when I turned 16, I got my driver's license and I went to work at Mount Sexton mobile and I was pumping gas, making $2 and 65 cents an hour. And I worked, uh, started off working weekends and then I ended up my junior and senior year. I worked full time, got out of school at like one thirty, and then closed. And, uh, so I was working full time when I was 16. Yeah. 
So what what did your um, parents do for a living? Because it sounds like you came from a like blue collar family, like mm -hmm. both parents yeah. were working out of the home, just trying to do the yeah. best they could to put food on the table. My uh, mother, she worked for the Bureau of Land Management as an acquisitionist, and she did that for, I don't know, 25, 30 years, maybe longer than that. And my dad was a logger and he was uh, injured. And uh, I'm trying to remember, I was probably 16, 17, 18, something like that when he was injured. And then he, he was on disability from that point on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you were young, I know you ended up leaving home at one point, mm -hmm. um, would you share a little bit about um, kind of like what happened and just like what, where you stayed mm -hmm. and kind of mm -hmm. how, how you think that played mm -hmm. a part in just your journey? When I was either 13 or 14, uh, my dad's best friend, he was killed in a logging accident and they just lived a uh, half mile down the road from us and they had a son. Uh, he ended up being probably best friend I've ever had. And, uh, he, he wanted me to go down and stay with him, uh, just kind of be there with him. And, you know, they're, they're, I didn't know what to do other than just be there and, and, uh, you know, give him someone to talk to. And I ended up, uh, uh, ended up staying there until I, I, I didn't stay till I graduated because, uh, about the middle of my senior year, I ended up moving from there. And I was in a, uh, staying in this little travel trailer that wasn't much more than about eight feet long. It had a bed and I think a sink. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was only $50 a month and that's about all I could afford. Oh my word. Uh, they did not charge me, uh, rent when I was uh, staying with, uh, with my other friends. Uh, but that my friend had, he was, uh, a little bit older than me and, and uh, he uh, got out of school sooner than I did. And so I uh, uh, kind of felt obligated to find mm -hmm. someplace else to stay. And those people, they, they took very good care of me with regards to allowing me to stay there. And, and uh, that's a, a debt that, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to those people. And when, uh, whenever we go back to Oregon to visit, I would, I, I have always tried to stop in and say mm -hmm. hello to them and, and catch up with them. And, and, uh, I've been, I've enjoyed that, but I'm very thankful to them. Yeah. Really wow. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, fast forward in your career, mm -hmm. you continued to work as a mechanic mm -hmm. and of course you um, you know, got married, had a family, mm -hmm. all the things, right. All mm -hmm. the things. But, um, was there anything that happened in your career that made you feel like, you know, you were being, your integrity was being questioned or mm -hmm. you were worried about like, um, losing your license mm -hmm. or just, um, put in an uncomfortable situation? Like how did you handle that? Well, in, uh, in aviation, uh, I have my airframe power plant and inspection authorization licenses and they're federally regulated. And, uh, the regulation guidelines are books about that thick that, you know, tell you what you can and can't do. And, uh, the, the real thing that you have to be careful about is when you do not 
do things the way the manufacturer states it needs to be done, you're committing a felony. And uh, you can be prosecuted and put in jail for. uh, And if you allow people to, they can talk you into a corner and uh, you'll end up doing something that is less than legal. And I've been in that position a few times. And uh, one time it cost me my job because I was unwilling to go down a path that I was asked to go down. And, you know, the, the thing that, that I'm looking at is if I do what they want, then, you know, I'm good. I can keep my job, good pay. And if, if I do that and something goes wrong, then I can go to jail. Right. <laughs> so it, it's, a you have to be very careful about what you what you get yourself into and you need to ensure as best you can that you've got people that you're dealing with that are quality, that they uh, understand the liability of. And most people equate airplanes to cars, you know, Hey, you can, you can do it on a car. You can do it on an airplane, you know, and it's, it is not that way at all. And those in aviation understand that completely. Those who are not in aviation, they don't really don't don't understand it just because of the exposure. Right. If they were exposed to it, they would understand that, you know, anything that you do on an airplane, you know, you can do something or a helicopter, you can uh, you can do work on it, it go out and fly and crash and kill people. Right. Well, the other thing is it can crash into your house. Mm-hmm. You know, the likelihood, mm-hmm. very unlikely, but that's the potential <laughs> right. is, you know, if you don't do something correctly and there's a failure, then, you know, they can, it, it can crash anywhere. Yeah. And so I have been very uh, adamant about following the rules. And uh, if you're going to stay in aviation for any amount of time, you have to do things the correct way. And as of this year, I'm coming up on 40 years in aviation. I started in the Army in uh, 1979. I worked on helicopters for four years there and, and uh, got out of the Army. And I uh, tried my hand at farming. I married a farm girl. <laughs> found out that farming, if you didn't grow up in it, is gambling. You know, you're gambling on, you're going to have enough brain. It's not going to have too many freezes. And uh, I learned my lesson. It cost me some money, but I learned my lesson. <laughs> and uh, then after that, I uh, went to work at a McDonnell Douglas Hughes service center, working on helicopters and airplanes. And that's where I got my uh, airplane experience. And then uh, after that, I did that for, uh, and that's where I got my AMP license there. Uh, the, the general manager, he was an older man, really good man. He, he treated me well. And the people that owned the company, they treated me really well. And he was a crew chief on a P-51 in World War II. Oh, cool. And he, uh, he taught me the things I needed to know to be a mechanic. And there was uh, two guys there. Uh, both of them were helicopter mechanics, and they were, from in, they were in Vietnam. And so I learned a lot there. And then there was another guy that uh, he was just, he was a younger guy and and he was very, he was 
what anyone would, would refer to as by the book. Mm. And, uh, he was, he was a good guy and he just, you know, everything was, you know, there, there was no gray area, which in, in aviation, you really can't have, (laughs) don't want gray area. Yeah. Gray area is, uh, is an your is a personal interpretation to get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for sure. Anyway, and then we uh, we moved from there. We moved out here, and and here being Tennessee, and I worked at a Cessna single multi service center, and did that for fourteen and a half years, and then I went to work at a Nashville Jet, and at Smyrna Air Center, I was director of maintenance for ten years, and. Uh, in Nashville Jet, I was uh, director of maintenance for two years, and then got on uh, uh, Nashville Jet. Got bought out by another company, by actually Smyrna Air Center, and uh, they were taking uh, mechanics only, no management positions, and I was in what would be considered middle management. Mm. And so I got hired by uh, another company that uh, has been since bought out, but they uh, took care of the Vanderbilt Life Flight. Uh, contract for the fixed wing Mm -hmm. and I did that for let's see seven and a half years and then the current company I'm working for Air Methods they got the contract and I've been working for them for uh, seven and a half years about and so I think uh, I'm 14 and a half years right now into the Vanderbilt program and and these people have taken really good care of me they uh uh, I've there, if hopefully you never need it, mm-hmm. but if you get hurt, injured, sick, and you're out and about and you need to get home or get to a higher level hospital, you want Vanderbilt life flight. Mm-hmm. They are, uh, without question, you know, one of the top programs in the country. And there's a lot of really good programs in the country, but, uh, they're one of the best. And, uh, they have taken good care of me and I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I really do. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. So I would love to know, um, is there like one memory in, in all your years that maybe like a funny story or something like really that just like stuck in your brain oh. that you, <laughs> that yeah, well, you from like work or just yeah. like, you know, I, I have, a, it's not a funny story, but it's one that, that I will never forget every moment of it. And it lasted about five minutes. Uh, we had just done an inspection on a plane and, uh, the owner wanted me to go fly with them to, you know, do the release flight to make sure everything's working. Well, we, it was a twin engine Cessna. And when we took off, everything's good. And at about 200 feet, it banked 90 degree left. Mm. And then he got back under control and it banked 90 degree right. And, you know, he's got full power going and this is a modded air, aircraft that's got, you know, high horsepower engines on it. And we, he, he fought that airplane from takeoff going back around to the, the crossway runway to landing it. And we almost inverted about three times oh and he's, he's just fighting it. And, uh, when we get on approach, he pulls the power back and it settles down at about 150 feet and we land and, and, uh, taxi back. And, uh, you know, I looked at Bush and I said, well, I shouldn't say his name, but anyway, I looked at him and I said, <laughs> you did a great job. Thank you. You saved our lives. Yeah. And he did. Wow. And, uh, 
when I got out of the plane and stood up, my legs were so full of adrenaline that they hurt. Oh, I'm sure. The, the intensity like of the moment. Flexing, yeah, you and, know. And it just, uh, I'd never experienced that before. Wow. But he, uh, he, that man will have my, you know. Gratitude. Gratitude for, for, for the rest of my life oh, because my he, he literally saved us. And uh, yeah. we found the problem and it got fixed. And uh, But, you know, Cessna says what I've been told. They may have changed their mind since 25 years ago. But you cannot survive an uncommanded flat split on a Cessna 3 or 400 series aircraft. And we did, believe it or not. But anyway, that was the Lord taking care of us. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So with, I think I'm kind of curious your perspective, like with um, today's world, I feel like so many people are not as willing, I feel like, or, and I don't know if it's like this generation coming up, but there, a lot of people will not either keep a job or they're like, they don't understand, I think, and don't take this the wrong way. Please don't come at me with pitchforks, but I feel like <laughs> a lot of people don't really, I feel like have a true value for work. Um, and you've literally worked since you were 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I would love to know, like, from your perspective of having a, like, physical labor job for your entire career. I mean, mm-hmm. you've literally been working with your hands. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just, I would love to know, like, what would you say to some of those people that are, you know, just, or just kind of your perspective? of? Mm-hmm. I, I would, I would rather have not had the circumstance I did growing up. But I had to work, and a lot of times just to be able to eat, uh, to buy my clothes, to go to school. And it would have been nice to be in a family dynamic where I, I did, not, did not have to worry about that. But because I had to, work, had to do that, it, uh, I don't know any other way but work. Uh, it would be... For me now to say, well, I don't want to work. I'm going to, you know, let someone else take care of me. Uh, I I couldn't do it. I just I couldn't do it. Uh, I in a lot of ways I don't understand, you know, why some people don't want to work, other than the fact that they've had someone take care of them all their lives, and and I'm glad for it. Mm-hmm. But you can you can spoil any circumstance. I mean, you, you really can, and you can give children too much. And that, that was one of the things that mom and I talked about constantly with you and Brandon. Mm-hmm. Did we give you too much? Had, <laughs> did we do too much? No, but you no. know, <laughs> ev- evidently we didn't because both of them have a very, very strong worth ethic, work ethic. And, uh, but I, I, I didn't have the opportunity to, to not have that because it was a basic uh, it fulfilled basic needs, mm-hmm. yeah. just surviving. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I guess just like a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. One being, um, is there any like one person in your life that has impacted your career the most? Uh, let's see. I can't say one person. And I, I think what, for me, what has happened is my willingness to do whatever needed to be done 
almost every place that I've worked, the people have pe- people recognize uh, a willingness to jump in and do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's that's what I had to do because you know my survival depended on it. And almost without question, every place that I've ever worked, the ownership has recognized that, and they have taken care of me above, way above and beyond what would be expected. And, uh, you know, they, you know, the, the Lord has blessed me to work with some really, really great people. I mean, just, just without question. And, uh, they have, uh, they've taken care of me. They really have. And I mean, it's just, I didn't deserve it. I, you know, in their eyes, I may have earned it, but you know, I, uh, I am very appreciative to all of the, uh, the people I've worked for that have taken care of me. Yeah. So, um, let's see, I guess, uh, one final question. If you could have like, from this point on, like Mm -hmm. a dream job, Mm -hmm. right. Would you still be doing what you're doing or in a different, you know, fashion? Like what, what is like your dream, like (laughs) project, career, drop job? Like what would you love to be able to do? Uh, my dream job. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of times where, you know, I I wanted to be a missionary. Uh, I would, uh, you know, and that even at my age is still not off the table. That's still the potential of, of, of that. Uh, very unlikely, but you know, that, that's something that, you know, I wanted to do earlier on and, and in all honesty, I was not prepared for it. I am now but I'm also a lot older, <laughs> but, uh, I think the one job, uh, Oh, wow. I mean, there's, there's so many that you could choose from, you know, I think the one job would be my own boss and, uh, you know, own my own company and be able to help the people that work for me the way I've been helped. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that would be my, uh, I think my greatest aspiration would be to have the ability to help those that, uh, that I gathered around me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sitting down with me for a yeah. little while telling <laughs> some of your story yeah. to all of the, the internet. Yeah. And, um, I would love, you know, if you have, I guess one final piece of advice for someone who maybe is like struggling to like make ends meet and mm-hmm. having to maybe, like you said, just focus on surviving, like mm-hmm. what, you know, what's like one piece of encouragement that you could say to them? The, the one piece of encouragement I can say is if you have an opportunity and you're struggling, do not allow anyone to outwork you. Mm. You know, if, if you want to uh, be successful, you know, what I was always told was, you know, if you want to be successful, dress better than your boss, speak professionally, treat everyone as well as you can be accountable and, uh, but just don't let anyone outwork you. Uh I mean, literally just don't let them outwork you. And if you do that, People notice that people, people recognize willingness and don't be the guy that's like, when they ask you to do something that no one wants to do, 
don't be the guy that steps back and like, you know, <laughs> it's not me. It's got to be someone else. Be the guy that steps up and uh, that gets noticed, that gets rewarded. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll admit it's not always fun, <laughs> but you just, you want to succeed. You want to to do better. You want to make more. You want to climb the ladder. Don't let anyone outwork you. Mm-hmm. Don't show up late. You know, be there and be willing. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dad. I appreciate it. All right. right. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. I hope that was good enough. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening to my podcast today. One way to spread the word and share what you've learned today with others is just to simply take a screenshot, post it on your social platforms, and don't forget to tag me. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a five-star review on whatever platform that you're listening to this episode on. As always, I appreciate your love, support, and encouragement. I'm cheering you on, friend.